Welcome back to Suraj Podcast. In the last episode, we heard how Guru Gobind Singh met with Raja Pim Chand and how they had a really good meeting. But at the end, it was through the Guru's desire to really tilt and twist Pim Chand's mind. And that's how Chapter 30 now begins describing how that unfortunate one, his mind was wavering now. It was flipping and it was not finding the Guru's Sikhi appealing anymore. In reality, whatever the divine desires, Whatever Guru Gobind Singh desires, that's what happens. Either the divine forsakes us, or he makes us his own. Like Crystal, Bhim Chand's mind was brittle, his intellect was see-through. When he was with the true congregation, then he would be absorbed in their color, their feelings, their vibes. But when leaving it behind, he would be left just as he was before, in that stupid state of mind. Like a mirror who is reflecting the rays of the sun, it can quickly spark a fire. And that mirror becomes really strong, being radiant, destroying the attachment like wood. But if the sun rays never hit that mirror, then that would just remain as it is. It wouldn't be able to do anything. And in the same way, the king Bhim Chand, love in his heart for the Guru was removed. He remained as he was before, unable to do anything now without the true Guru. And the next day came and Bhim Chand requested a leave from the Guru, the arrogant Edith's mind was unripe, it was fleeting. The divine Guru Gobind Singh knew the desire and he had thought that his leaving was appropriate at this point. So when there was about three hours left in the day, Guru Gobind Singh set up his court session, Divan, and he sent one person to call the Raja, the king, who arrived with his large entourage of warriors. He showed off the strength of his army, hoping the pure Guru would recognize him as greater. Whatever greatness or extravagant items, attire, weapons, that he had, he brought with him. The arrogant king requested all that was available to him, it would be brought. And the Raja, he entered with all his splendor into the court session, he bowed down to the Guru and he sat close. And then he spoke in a request to the Guru. He was speaking about royalty in countless ways, speaking about hunting in the forest. When about 45 minutes had passed, then Guru Gobind Singh looked over at his minister Nand Chand and he said to Nand Chand, he said, get up and get a soropa and bestow it to the hill ruler. Nand Chand heard this command and he quickly went up. He brought back a soropa of great value, one made of a really rare type of sheep's wool. It was embroidered on both sides greatly with gold and silver thread. And the Guru bestowed a very large bhagari or turban. The fabric was so very subtle and thin. Nanchan first approached the Guru with these items, touching them on the Guru's foot, and then he gave it to Bhimchan, who taking it in his hand, placed it on his head, and then he handed it over to his treasurer. Nanchan then gave to his ministers, to Bhimchan's ministers, as well as the other courtiers, the other people of his court. They all received suropas from the Guru's house, and they all bowed down, and then they all desired to head out. Bhim Chand was in great bliss at this point, leaving the court session with all his men. Arriving back as the encampment, he spent the night there before setting off in the morning back to his region. They set off that next day with drums and they were heading down the path. He was greatly thinking in his mind about the wealth of the Guru. He was just not able to bear it. He was 
kind of burning up inside with this doubt in his mind that, that he will not be able to become a Sikh of the Guru. Yet, he was still thinking of all these thoughts, you know, scheming, thinking of all the unique treasures of the Guru's house, how he would be able to obtain these, by which his praise would spread greatly in the world. This is what he was thinking, that the other hill rulers who live close to me, he was thinking, they will look at me and they will be amazed by all these items. They will praise me if I have these items. They will praise me for having these items which they could never possess. Whoever comes to see me will see these items of mine. You know, if I'm not able to get these items, then at least maybe I'll ask for the elephant first. First, I'll try to use my strength and intellect to trick the guru. I just want to get hold of that elephant without any conflict at first. By one way or another, I'll request it and someone wise will bring it to me. In whatever way, I'll just get it just once and then I won't give it back. I'll make it mine. Those wise people who know the trade of politics, he's thinking. They say that one should always take the effort and endeavor in many ways, and that if by request it comes into my hands, well then, there is also other methods of political action which I could use to get it under my control. One of them would have him coming under my protection, under my control, by buying him off, or by causing conflict amongst him and his group. If these don't work, well, then I'll use force, understanding well that the strength of my army would be able to take control of that elephant. Taking appropriate action first, it makes sense to get him under my control, for him to come under my sanctuary. Here, Bhim Chand is thinking about the four avenues of political action, and this is the first, having an opponent come under one sanctuary. With this, many tasks will be fulfilled, he's thinking. The wise say this is the best. If by this task my desire is not fulfilled, well then, I'll try to buy him out. And I'll take that approach, the second approach, sparking greed in his heart. I'll be able to ensure that all my tasks are fulfilled. From the very beginning, those who have very little intellect fall into this trap. They fall into line by this way. This is what the knowers of politics say. If through these two ways my tasks are not fulfilled, well then, there is the third to cause division, to cause conflict amongst them, getting intel on their friends, their allies, their ministers, the courtiers, the warriors, all of their advisors, and making them your own, praising them, flattering them, bribing them, bringing them into one's own task. Whatever the task is, the ruler, this is what the pure mind holds important. Those who know politics know that this is a way to get one's way. If these three types of action do not result in one's desires being fulfilled, well then, one should not have any hesitancy in starting conflict. Amongst all these four strategies, still though the wise hold that amongst all of them, one should be very deceitful and trickery should be done very openly. Through these ways, one should have all their tasks endeavors fulfilled. One should remain deceitful with their enemies. And this is the mindset held by Raja Pimchan. Such a vile and harsh way of thinking, just calculating and scheming all along the way home. Meanwhile, over here in Anantpur, Guru Gobind Singh was just absorbed in such happiness, speaking and discussing things related to warfare, planting the seed of warfare, hoping to battle like his grandfather Guru Harguman did in war. Every day the Guru would train in archery, training alongside his warriors. He was building up the strength in his massive arms, practicing strength training with a training bow, pulling it back and then shooting out arrows. They had made a backstop, so a big mound of dirt, and they would shoot arrows into that so they could train. Shooting out 
heavier arrowheads than normal so these are training arrowheads to increase one's strength and they called this last they would make the target very far practicing their aim shooting out arrows they were shooting out arrows from such a far distance reaching great lengths, sometimes miles others would shoot arrows so far you couldn't even see where they would land Whatever aspect of archery training there was, the warriors would display it with great strength and skill. And the people nearby just watching this training, they were just shocked. They were saying, the ability of the Guru, surely no one has such power. Wherever the Guru will shoot these arrows, there in the world, it'll be apparent that the enemy will be destroyed. The Guru's arrows are just one of a kind. Nobody in the world could shoot arrows like this. Wherever you would go, you would hear the praise of the Guru's archery skills. Everybody was just praising it. Sometimes the Guru would mount up on his Prasadi Hati, his elephant, roaming through the local forest. Other times the Guru would mount up on a very strong steed, a very strong horse. And the Guru would maneuver this horse so skillfully. It was like, it was like a dancing peacock, captivating everybody watching. Other times the Guru would mount up on his other elephants, playing and performing so many delightful feats like hunting, like a king, the Guru would be engaged in royal affairs, ever increasing his armed forces and regal provisions. Slowly and slowly, the Guru's army expanded, adorning weapons and military attire, fine clothes that would look so beautiful. People from local and foreign lands bringing with them offerings of weapons and horses. The stable of the Guru's army was just expanding day by day. They would give the horses great feed, along with clarified butter and sugar, all the attendants, the assisters to the horses, were given very grand salaries. At this time, thousands of people would come to partake in the communal langar, the communal kitchen the Guru had set up. The warriors were paid monthly, those warriors who were mercenaries, and many other people would come to Anandapur with their families and they would reside here very happily. The gate to the city was always congested. To deliver a darshan, the divine sight to the congregation, the Guru would come out often, and the congregation would just swell up. People from all regions, lands, foreign and domestic, would arrive there. The Ardasya Sikh, the one performing the Ardasa supplication, would clasp his hands and say, Guru Gobind Singh, many Sikhs are here desiring your darshan. Two or three times, an Ardasya would come with his request, saying the people of the world desire your darshan. The Guru would then properly suit up in his clothes and weapons, adorning himself, the Guru then would arrive there in the congregation where there was a beautiful darbar court session set up. There the Guru would glow gloriously from his throne. Thousands of people in the congregation were swelling up there, bringing with them countless offerings along with weapons, money, horses, jewelry and fine clothes. They would come close to the Guru, placing them down as an offering. Whatever desire they had when they arrived there in the court, those desires would be fulfilled by obtaining the darshan of the Guru. They obtained everything what they desired. Some would bring a tenth of their earnings to give to the Guru. Others coming there had no desire but for the darshan of the Guru. The Guru, in great happiness, would greet them, blessing them, making them liberated. Wherever you go, you would hear the praise of the Guru spreading. Royalty and sovereignty had now arrived in the house of the Guru, and all the military and royal provisions were ever increasing. This is how chapter 30 concludes. In the next chapter, we're going to hear more about Guru Gobind Singh's endeavors in royalty and how the interactions are going to take place with the local kings. So that's where we will continue. And as always, I'd like to thank those who have been supporting the podcast 
through the Manglacharan Patreon page. Oh, <laughs> 